Web3 gaming has kind of a uh, bit of a taboo around it, right? Typically that term means that there's a bunch of NFTs stuck inside of video games and you know, are there gonna be all these kind of crazy economics involved? Like, I just wanna play a video game. Blockchain just presents a more efficient way to do things that are currently done rather than trying to make the entire premise of your game dependent on like a token economy. You're listening to Lights, Camera, Crypto, the podcast exploring all things entertainment and Web3. I'm your host, Stephen Ladin, and this week our guest is Rensa Games founder and CEO, Anthony Apollo. As a lifelong gamer, Anthony combined his love of games and his background in finance to form a Web3 gaming company that helps develop, distribute, and crowdfund, you guessed it, games. In our conversation, he explains the tech behind Rensa and shares his views on blockchain technology, game asset distribution, and the future of Web3 games. Let's dive in. Anthony, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Sure thing. So Rensa Games was, you know, you've you've created the company, you're the founder and CEO. Was gaming always forefront at your interest level as a kid growing up, where where did this interest and how did the idea for Rensa start? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like most people, I played the majority of the video games I have played growing up, uh, specifically with my two brothers who I co-founded Rensa Games with. And that was kind of the, the status at the time, right? Um, weekends were spent in the basement playing Star Fox and Goldeneye and Zelda. And that was back in the day when you rent an N64 from Blockbuster. And at a certain point, your parents get so angry about how expensive that is. They just buy the damn thing eventually. But we were always passionate about gaming um, and have stayed passionate about it since then. Obviously, the gaming industry has changed quite significantly since the mid-90s. And we could certainly get into how that's happened and what that looks like. But then we've always been passionate about I will say that we were certainly more passionate about gaming than uh, where I started my career in accounting and advisory and consulting work. So I'm glad to see that things have uh, gone on the trajectory they have over the last several years. Right on. Uh, okay, so early early interest at in which all those games you mentioned, Star Fox, Golden, I think were pivotal 90s uh, N64 experiences. How did you then take this love for gaming to the next level to form a company with your brothers? Yeah. So I think we followed when, when we got into our kind of like adult lives, the time that we had free to spend playing video games was less and less. And then of course that coincided with games taking longer and longer to beat. There's no shortage of games that take, you know, 20 hours, 60 hours, 80 hours to, to play through. Um, so I think it somewhat came around by following the business side more than actually playing games. Um, which is a little odd, but my background at the time was in finance and it was just an easier way to, to stay on the pulse of what was happening, what was being built, how these companies were progressing as technology developed and, you know, seeing the entire shift from here's a game for 60 bucks to, well, this game is free to play, but we monetize it via microtransactions. And then, you know, seeing DLC as something that didn't exist, I'm sorry, downloadable content, right? Didn't exist back in the day. And then next thing you know, you had you know, in the Elder Scrolls Oblivion, you had horse armor, and that was like a big hubbub back then. But now, you know, that's how a lot of games monetize the content that gets generated, microtransactions and all that. So it's been an interesting way to kind of keep our attention on the industry while also doing other things. And then 
you know, what we'll come around to in the immediate future is, you know, working, taking this kind of background that I had in, in finance and, and some other kind of uh, creative endeavors and then applying that to this technology that I was learning about in blockchain and then kind of putting it all together with a deep passion of mine, which is gaming. Awesome. And so everything coalesces, you, you take your passion for gaming, your background in finance, put it in a pot, stir it up, rents the games comes out. And, and what is, what is it? How does it work? How can, how can people get involved? Sure. The easiest way to think about what we're building at rents games is functionally Roblox with the blockchain backend. Um, platforms like Roblox, and even now things like Fortnite through Fortnite create, uh, are all focused on what's called UGC or user generated content. Essentially, it means people are building stuff. Could be anything. When I say stuff, right? It could be music. It could be a player character that you're running around as. It's the players who are actually making all of this content, um, and it's being monetized inside games like Fortnite, Minecraft, Roblox. Um, and what happens in those scenarios is that the people who are making the things don't get a significant portion of the money that is generated when people buy the things. Um, and we are working on technology in blockchain that's really, really good at doing peer-to-peer -peer transactions. So you have the financial recognition there, but what blockchain is also very good at is proving who is who and who is the owner of what. So in that capacity, it's also really good reputational recognition. And something we can get into kind of along the way here is, is certainly some uh, high profile examples in the gaming industry when people don't quite get the credit that they should receive for um, building what they build. And, and someone like yourself who's got a background and you've talked to all these musicians, I'm sure they've got plenty of similar stories, right? Where they've done this work and hasn't really netted out the way that it should have along the way. Mm. So that is the, the kind of big, big picture of what we're building. Um, what that looks like, because it is a very large, very long-term build, we just gonna kind of break it down into three different pillars of, of what Rents of Games will be comprised of. One side of that is game and asset distribution. So if you think about platforms like Steam or the Epic Game Store on the gaming side, or you know the Unity Asset Store, Turbo Squids, and these other kind of uh, asset stores, those are all they all exist, um, but you know, again, what they're not great at is, is instantaneous payments, right? What we've developed is a way for builders, again, whether that's a game developer or a content creator of a, of a specific item, to upload and publish their work on the Rent Games platform. It then lives in our marketplace, and when Steve comes along and buys a game that Anthony made, I'm not waiting 30 to 60 days to receive that money. I'm not trying to figure out if the amount that I'm getting paid by the third party who's doing all of the, the marketplace is um, giving me what I'm actually owed. It all happens on Rensa, real time, transparently, directly to your digital wallet. And that's certainly a concept we can get into, but that is um, essentially the, the kind of baseline of what we wanted to build, right? We want the people to get their money immediately and know where it came from and make sure that it could get split up amongst a team. Because another problem that's kind of currently in the um, industry is that if you're a game developer and you sell something, well, if it lives on a platform like Steam, you are getting paid to one bank account, right? So if you get $100 and you got to wire it out to five people on your team, congratulations, you've just paid all your money to the bank. Um, what we do is we've created a platform in which 
the creators can split up payments amongst any member of their team, any number of members of their team, based on their contributions to that particular game or even asset, right? So if you're selling a track of music and it's split between a drummer, a bassist, a guitarist, and a vocalist, well, if I buy that for a dollar, well, we could send 25% of that dollar to all of those people in real time. We don't have to worry about having to accrue royalties and having someone write you a check four months later. Um, that all happens immediately. So, so it's really just taking, as you're saying, taking the process that currently exists, that's a little more, call it haphazard and all right, Hey, we've got, we've got to pay all of these people that are associated with a particular project. You're literally taking from each sale and funds and distributing them to the maker, the, you know, all of the participants that you would have to manually go through and send a percentage to you're taking each sale and distributing it to everybody involved. Exactly. Um, and I think that is kind of net net where some of this blockchain stuff should net out. I know as we talk about blockchain and crypto and all this, people are focused on things like NFTs. People are focused on ICOs and this explosive growth. We see these numbers go up and, and you know, bored apes and all this stuff. Um, for me, blockchain should be a fairly boring tool for a good long time. It should be focused on creating massive efficiencies and cumbersome, like I said, haphazard processes. Um, and just relying on peer-to-peer -peer payment tech to accomplish that rather than having a lot of people kind of trying to touch your money before it ends up in your wallet or bank account or what it is. Um, and if blockchain stayed that way for a while, I think people would be a lot happier with uh, some of these trend lines that we see going up and down and <laughs> cratering and then exploding and all that. It should be it should be fairly boring tech. Just make sure that people are getting what they deserve. Totally, totally. So you mentioned that's game asset distribution. What were the other two pillars of Rensa that are currently being developed? Sure. So the we talked about distribution. The other one is game development itself. Uh, and that'll be something that takes a much longer time to build out. Um, but what that that's probably closest to the, the Roblox or Web3 kind of example here. And that's where we want to create an environment where people can actually drag and drop assets into a game world that other people have created and then utilize them, um, which again, kind of sort of exists in a couple of different segmented places if you put things together. But when that happens in the, in the way things traditionally work now, uh, royalty streams are typically broken. It's like, okay, I can get this asset off the shelf, pay you a couple bucks for it. And then like, if my game sells to your content and I sell a million copies, you don't see a dime of that, right? What we're trying to do is use blockchain technology to put what's called a token behind any kind of asset and that token will specify things like uh, licensing terms, okay? How this asset can be used, how much do I need to pay up front, how much royalty is due on the back end, and automate all of that away. So if Steve, you put a piece of music on the Rensa Games asset marketplace, you can pick kind of somewhere a continuum where pricing works for you. I want this much up front and nothing on the back end. I want this much on the back end. You don't need to pay me up front as a license fee. And then I, as a developer who wants to use your content can come along anytime in the next day, week, three years later, and grab that piece of content, knowing that those terms are still kind of structured on a blockchain and say, okay, well, this point, this price point works for me. Let me grab this off the shelf, put it inside my game. And when my game sells, again, the Rensa platform can automate distribution of payment directly to your digital wallet, even years later. Wow. So 
do I have to use the rental marketplace in order to have my content be purchased according to those terms? Or could that exist outside in a different world? For now, um, it would probably live on rental for a while. I mean, the point of using this tech, however, is that everything should be nice and open. Um, that's just a matter of time and build. I mean, there's a lot of talk about interoperability in this whole kind of game development space. When we start talking about metaverses, the, the big impediments to overcome is going to be interoperability. Do these blockchains work well together? Does this and does this asset live in one particular video game engine like Unity, but you're building an Unreal? And how do we transfer that over? Um, there are a lot of questions and they're extremely technical questions that no one has really surmounted yet. There are a lot of very intelligent people working on these things. There is a lot of money on the line <laughs> for who figures it out. Um, not saying it's going to be us necessarily, but I will say I think there is a lot of very smart people building and trying to figure that out as we speak. So net net, this should be something that is very open in the future. Are there any particular titles or games specifically that are coming through that you're really excited about that you think are, you know, going to lead the charge or spearhead this whole vision that you have that's already starting to be implemented? Yeah. So interesting question. I mean, I think from kind of like the super high fidelity stuff, I mean, you have to look at what Fortnite is doing with the Fortnite creative suite and what Unreal in general is doing with, with and their uh, Unreal 5.2, which is the new engine they just announced at GDC a few weeks back. Um, it's incredible stuff, but my focus is kind of more kind of getting away from that AAA development and seeing what's possible when people have access to more tools where, or more access to assets even. Um, and I think people are going to see a lot of Web3 games, and your listeners won't, won't see me doing the air quotes on that, but you know, Web3 gaming has kind of a, a bit of a taboo around it, right? Typically that term means that there's a bunch of NFTs stuck inside of video games and you know, are there going to be all these kind of crazy economics involved? Like, I just want to play a video game. Um, but I think the community has really heard that feedback. And there's games um, that I'm really looking forward to, like Metalcore, um, which is kind of just like a big robot fighting game that looks great. And like all this blockchain stuff is an option if you want to interact with it. Um, it's not the entire game is not predicated on you having tokens in your wallet. It's not predicated on microtransactions. If you want to do, you know, trade mech parts, that's there. But if you want to just, you know, put a robot together and start blasting people, you can do that too. And I think that's the way this needs to go where it is again, blockchain just presents a more efficient way to do things that are currently done rather than trying to make, you know, uh, the entire premise of your game dependent on like a token economy. Mm. Um, and that's something that you'll, you'll kind of hear a lot as you have these conversations is, oh, well, we got to figure out the tokenomics of this game. And, and my take is, you know, I, I have a finance background. Um, most world governments can't figure out their own finances. I don't think you're going to figure <laughs> it out inside of like a video game that crosses borders and has more people in it than most, you know, than countries and possibly more money going through than the GDP of many countries. So that's kind of the net net on that. But I will say, I'll put a bow on it and say this, the people who've been building, again, blockchain games have been at it for a while now. Um, and while there was this kind of lull over the last year to 18 months of like what's coming out now, especially at GDC recently, we're starting to see the games that people have been working on really hitting their stride, getting their alphas out there, getting their betas out there. And a lot of that's going to be launching soon and the community will dictate whether, you know, this is going to stick around. Sure. And do, speaking of community, do you think that a lot of 
what blockchain has to offer aside from the enhanced streamlining of asset payments and and divvying up of a sale to the creators and stuff like that is the element of building that community really what where blockchain comes into play so that if you are a fan of the game and you're really enjoying it blockchain helps you perhaps engage with the game in a way that you wouldn't otherwise able be able to do so and is is that more of is is community building more of the and participating in community engagement more of the the asset that that people might be striving for here with these upcoming games yeah absolutely and i think blockchain is a fantastic way to do things like loyalty models as well um you know back back in my day when i started working in this this space um early 2017 and you know, even a little bit before that um, just from a kind of learning perspective, the example everyone used was like airline points. Like, wouldn't it be great if airline points were on a blockchain? You could trade those and sell those people. I'm like, yeah, that would be cool. Again, another example where it would simply be more efficient to use a blockchain to do something that already gets done. Um, but the way I think about it is almost more like a marketing tool in a pseudo-anonymous world. And that's already like a lot of jargon there, right? What that means is if I... Um, Let's go back to the, the airline example, right? If I'm running a hotel in Hawaii um, and I want to give some kind of discounts to, you know, Delta flyers, right? Because there's a route out there. Um, how do I do that now? Well, I have to call Delta up. I got to figure out a marketing deal. I got to advertise it on a site, hope someone sees it, make sure it gets presented when someone's looking at different flights, different destinations, you know, work with you know, Chase and the Sapphire program and, and rewards programs and all this and do it all manually. But if I was to be, if I was able to query a blockchain and you had, let's say, a tokenized ticket for your flight, I don't need to know who you are. I don't need to know when and where you're flying, but I can just see that, you know, you, this digital wallet has a ticket in it going to and from Hawaii. Well, I could just do what's called an airdrop and send you a token that gives you some kind of benefit for when you're at my hotel. And you can see that in your wallet and say, oh, if I go here, I get 10% off. And then I go there and redeem it and the token gets burned. And then it's, you know, you can't use it again and again and again. So you don't have these kind of issues with like someone spending the same five bucks over and over and over. Um, but again, this is kind of the way people are starting to think about marketing in general. And that's kind of, again, the, the kind of version now cut of this. The Where this is all going, I think, is just it's going to be a way to aggregate larger and larger fan bases based around let's call them complementary goods um so for example if i am a fan of uh, let's say of, which is avenge sevenfold right they just had a uh, concert ticket sale through ticketmaster that allowed their fans who held a avenge sevenfold nft to purchase tickets ahead of time before the bots slam the website like they did during the taylor swift ticket sale so it's essentially an, an accreditation that allows you to get access to this and not have to deal with you know a 3x price gouge due to bots um then if i was building a video game that had, had kind of that like punk rock hunter s thompson aesthetic to it well if i think that the avenge sevenfold community could be a kind of part of a core demographic that i should be reaching i could just mint a copy of my game like an early access version maybe not the full thing and just airdrop everyone holding an avenge sevenfold token a copy of that early access demo and they can say oh hey i didn't know this was a thing but now i have something to go and play over the weekend and 
maybe I become a customer of that, you know, game publisher, game developer later on, because they're building something that I didn't know about it, but now it's here in my wallet. I already own it. I can do whatever I want with it. Um, and now I am, uh, I'm converted, right? So that's where I think this will go over time. Fascinating. And maybe just to pivot back to rents a game specifically, is there a different way in which a creator gets involved with the platform versus a player collector? Yeah. So for us, um, we're, we're focused on developers right now. I mean, for us, it's kind of, when you build these kind of multi-sided marketplaces, it's kind of always like a chicken and egg thing, no matter where you start. Um, so for us, you know, to have players and community on the platform, there needs to be content to have content. We need to approach developers about getting their stuff on rents of games and hosting it in our marketplace. Um, we don't require anything like exclusivity. We're not trying to like pay people to be like, you're only going to put your stuff here and nowhere else. Um, we're a small startup. We don't have the, the funding to do that. And uh, if anyone's curious about what those economics look like, I implore you to check out the Apple versus Epic lawsuit and see how much Epic games spends for, uh, exclusivity on some of their games. So for us, it's more just about trying to get developers spun up in this web three world. Um, and what does that mean? Well, it means getting them set up with a digital wallet. It means getting them to understand that they can get paid extremely fast using this technology. Um, uh, because even when developers have heard that, unless they see it and can kind of touch it and touch is again, a kind of speculative word based that we're talking about digital money and <laughs> assets. Um, but once they, they see it live and in use, it's, it's always a, it's always a wow moment for them. And I was gonna say something else, but I don't know if I was allowed to use profanity on this podcast. So I'll, I'll hold off. Okay. Yeah. It's like the holy shit moment. Right. So the way it works is typically we need to do a little bit of convincing that, you know, you can put your game on this platform and you can get paid for it in real time. They're like, well, you know, I kind of get paid over here. I'm like, yeah, but you're waiting months and you got to trip, you know, over X amount of dollars. Like let's get on our staging website and just see how long it takes you to upload this game and see how long it takes you to get paid. And if they've got a finished game that could run in a browser, right? So you're on Chrome and then you could go to rents of games, and just start playing something. Um, we've had people who are able to upload a game and sell a copy of it and get paid in less than 10 minutes. And for wow. them, that's transformational. Um, even, even before that, right? If step one is we need to get you set up with a digital wallet. Okay. Our platform uses a digital wallet called MetaMask, which is pretty common in, in the blockchain space pretty uh robustly audited and tested and all that so i'll just tell them like look the first thing you want to do is just download this wallet you're gonna need to write down the secret code don't don't share your screen don't tell me any of this don't tell anyone don't tell your you know partner your family whatever don't tell don't say anything to anyone just keep it secret to keep it safe um but once i get past that you know send me this this weird like hexadecimal thing zero x a one two g send me a copy of that that's a public address right that's what anyone can use to send you stuff um, give me that real quick. And by the time they put that in the chat and I could send them like one token on the Polygon blockchain, they haven't even finished asking a question of like, what is this? And they're like, oh, it's weird. I, I opened this up and I've already got something in here. I'm like, yeah, I sent it to you already. I already sent you money. I'm like, you know, it's a dollar or whatever it happens to be. But, you know, then that's the holy shit moment for them. Like, oh, wow, this really does work that fast. And yes, you can get paid in seconds and it's all transparent. So um, maybe getting a little deeper into like the way the platform works now, we'll do the high level first, then we can get into the weeds, is, you know, when a game sells on our platform or an asset sells on our platform, um, the money that I might pay for Steve's 
game is going to go right to you. And that once that transaction happens, you'll get a link to see this transaction on a blockchain. And you can see that if you divided up this payment with your team, you can see every discrete piece of that broader payment going to each digital wallet. So you know you're getting paid exactly what you're supposed to get. You don't need to worry about trying to audit one of the largest uh, game publishers and digital asset resellers on the planet because they're not going to tell you anything. Um, for us, just that amount of that level of transparency is the baseline. Right. And so essentially it's, it's making payments faster, but also showing developers, hey, here, there's no guesswork here. You, you are able to understand the economics of what you're putting out there in terms of your, your games. You're able to see in real time how that's playing out and you're able to have the results, as you're saying, show up in your account and there's no, well, when's is 14 days, 15, you know, it's, it's instantaneous, which is, which is really cool to that end. How, how is a payment triggered? Is it, is it by play? Is it by download? Is it by purchase? What's, what's the metric there? Yeah. Everything we do is by purchase. Um, it's wild, right? No, it's no SaaS model and it's not free to play and monetize it later. It's just, if you want to play a game or you want to buy a track of music, you buy it kind of like iTunes when it worked 15 years ago, um, <laughs> you could buy a track of music for one ninety nine or whatever it was when I was right, in college. Right. Um, yeah, it's that simple, right? When the way, and then I guess we could probably, this is probably the juncture to get into the, the structure here. So Steve, you're building a game, right? Um, you want to upload that game to the rental platform. Cool. You create what's called a studio, which is our convention kind of on chain to establish your your entity, and that could be one person, it could be a bunch of people, you have admins, you have members, again, a way to recognize everybody in that kind of creative flow. Then you upload your game to our platform. You, you know, give it a name, a description, um, some metadata, which is always important because that is something that is closed off on mostly larger platforms. You don't know how much is selling. You don't know what categories and tags these things have. Again, we make that all public. It's all on chain, so anyone can query that at any time. And then we let you do two kind of blockchain-y things with your game. One is we let you list the number of game license tokens or asset license tokens that will live in our marketplace. That's the number of things that can be purchased. So the analogy there is again, Steam keys, right? You have X amount of keys, you can send a couple around to your friends and a bunch of them will live on the marketplace, et cetera. Um, if you wanted to create a very scarce game, you can do that. You could have you know 10 copies of it. Um, if you wanted everyone on planet earth to play your game, you can make 10 billion. It doesn't matter to us, doesn't matter to the blockchain, just matters to you as a developer and what you want to do. Uh, more importantly for than, than that for us is what happens at the end of this kind of process, which is you can you know, name whatever price you want to put on your game or asset. And then you're then able to enter what's called the public addresses of every one of your collaborators or co-creators. And again, that's 0x ABC, 0x123, just alphanumeric nonsense. Um, but it's who you are on a blockchain. And then what we also let you do is next to that public address, you specify the percentage of every sale that's due to that particular creator. So if you know Ben did the story for Steve's game, he might get 5%. You take Ben's public address, stick it there, 5%. If someone did a couple of Foley sound effects, they're going to get half a point, right? But their public address, 0.5. And it's really that simple. Um, then you hit publish on a platform, we spin your we, we spin your game up on our back end. Um, we mint the tokens that represent. We we'll send you one that represents the, your ownership 
of the game. We call that the game owner token that allows you to do different functionality like these airdrops we're talking about. And then we mint those 10 to 10 billion, you know, license tokens that you wanted to create. Those will go live in our marketplace. Then Anthony comes along. I want to buy Steve's game. I go to the game's marketplace. I go to Steve's game and I click purchase. I could do that in crypto. I could do that in fiat based on integrations we have. So if you don't want to deal with like a wallet and, you know, having point, you know, O2 Matic in your wallet, you can just use, use a credit card. Um, and then our backend will do all the magic. But when that purchase is made, either in crypto or in fiat, when I purchase that token, that's when all of that funding starts to flow out of my wallet or out of the kind of the backend wallets that we use to your wallet as a creator, Steve's public address. And then Ben will get his 5% and that fully SFX creator will get their 0.5%. And it's all direct, all wallet to wallet. There's no one in the middle touching the money. It's all on a blockchain. You can see this all happening in real time. I am repeating myself. I know that. But <laughs> when people see this stuff happening, again, that's the oh shit moment for them because they, ha they, don't, they haven't understood that this is possible. A lot of people have just heard that blockchain is bad for the environment and everything is a scam and you know, that's only that latter part is only like 98% true. Um, I kid, I kid, but, um, you know, do your own research, be, be, be aware out there that there are some bad actors, but the point is this stuff works. Um, it just takes teams putting all the different pieces together to make it happen. Wow. So then it sounds like scarcity of a game could be just to go back to one nugget you mentioned could be determined by the developer. Is there a benefit aside from just having a quote unquote rare game to having 10 copies of it available? So, cause, cause it sounds like then it's not where, like I could go to GameStop and buy, you know, the upcoming Zelda for any particular, you, you know, it, it, there's not an unlimited supply of any particular game. It sounds like, you know, what's available is available and that's when it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up Zelda as the example, because going back to my uh, my my mid nineties, right? Yeah, only uh, only mid nineties game references uh, <laughs> can we use in this conversation. Exactly. So, uh, if you remember correctly, or, or you were a uh, N sixty four gamer, not a, a PS one kid, the cartridge, the N sixty four cartridge for Zelda: Ocarina of Time, there was a gold edition of it, right? Now yes. I was fortunate enough that I was able to get the gold edition. Oh, Sam. Um, yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, but that's kind of where that, that comes out, right? You can do limited editions. Maybe the first 100 people to buy this game will get the gold edition, and then people are going to get their kind of like matte gray cartridge down the road. And we actually have that on our platform. People are allowed to like make their own cartridges. Right now, we just let the devs pick what they want to do. But in the future, like that might be a way to uh, create like an unlock system, right? Like, okay, well, if this is your third game on the platform, you can unlock like, you know, these color schemas and textures and all this stuff. And, um, you know, you don't want to like overly overgate too much of that aesthetic stuff in my opinion but the point stands right you can use it as a way to kind of uh incentivize developers to put more on the platform and then they can have like multiple different special editions, which is another kind of uh checkbox yeah like this is a special edition of something um and again that's that's kind of familiar in these it's familiar to the nft markets it's familiar to the way things are done now with like you know uh limited collections and and you know limited supply stuff um I would want to go back to the kind of like a marketing example, right? That we just were talking about where maybe I mint a thousand versions of, of this game that has this particular, you know, cover art or whatever it is. And I'm going to airdrop those or only make them accessible to the people who have those Avenged Sevenfold uh, NFTs, 
in their wallet, right? And that's like a, another way to kind of start building up this branding engine, this marketing engine to kind of bring all these communities together. Uh, I care a lot more about that in terms of the scarcity element than, you know, just like, oh, this is rare because it's rare. Right, 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 right. So then it sounds like too, which is really cool, then these developer incentives are really to continue their engagement on Rensa games, but also gives them the opportunity to create their gold ocarina of time and, and have that basically be digitized uh, in this new world of gaming. Absolutely. That's exactly it. And I think, I think people, we see this on Steam like a little bit with early access, but once we start getting into more of the community stuff and crowdfunding, which is kind of that third pillar which we haven't talked, on, you know, talked about yet, we can certainly get there. Um, but people will understand like how long the creative process takes in gaming. So for example, something might start as a game that's created in a weekend during a game jam, which is something else that we do on our platform. We have a game jam function called showcase. And we can certainly get into that as well, but maybe that's V1 of the game. Okay. Well, who has V1 and who's supporting me way back when? Okay. Well then maybe I'll airdrop them an early access version of the game, which is again, analogous to kind of the way things work on, on Steam other platforms now where you could pay a smaller amount of money to get access to this game while it's still in development. So you're gonna have to deal with all the bugs and everything, but you've already bought it, right? And you'll get the full version when it's done. Maybe that's six months from now, maybe it's seven years from now. You don't really know. Um, but hey, I, you know, I support a developer and I've got access to play this thing. And then there could be a version down the line, which is the, the final version and like the, you know, the director's cut version, like, you know, Hideo Kojima did with Death Stranding. There's all these kind of iterations that you can, um, kind of engage with your community and your your customers during. And I think that's a lot of where this stuff is going to go. Instead of like artificial scarcity, it's going to be recognition of people who supported me earlier on. So there's, there's also a way to, as we were talking about with that community engagement, give, close the feedback loop and, and give support to your supporters. Exactly. You return the favor. Yeah. That's going to strengthen, it'll strengthen the loop and that becomes a virtuous cycle. Right. Right. And is it something then that if I'm the holder of one of these tokens, can then I, if say I'm approached by another super fan of a particular game, is it something that I can then give to him or her or, you know, make it so that that can continue to be cycled into the community and, and on the platform? Exactly. Exactly it. Um, so that's the, that's like the GameStop problem, right? Like physical games get created. Someone plays them. They sell the games. They sell a sixty dollars game for game to GameStop for four dollars, and then GameStop sells that game that they just paid you four dollars for for thirty dollars, and the original developer sees none of that. Um, and that's something that having everything on a blockchain with tokens that unlock games can can fix. Um, that does get into the kind of the question around royalties and, and how you can preserve those. That has not been an easy thing to solve. Um, although that, that caveat itself has two different branches. Um, what we want to do is make sure that if Steve takes that, you know, that game and then resells it, um, then we're preserving the payments back to the original developers and all those creators therein, um, which is something that's going to take a little bit of engineering to accomplish. Well, there are people who've been kind of knocking on that door um, to do it at like the token or the smart contract level, which is again, all blockchain parlance there, but um, trying to make it so royalties are locked in forever. There's a different branch of this kind of conundrum 
where if you've been following dialogue about NFT platforms like OpenSea or Blur, the question becomes, well, what royalties are given back to the original artists that are creating these, you know, pieces of music or, or you know, art or just JPEGs that, that live on these platforms. Um, and then, the, so what's happened is on Ethereum, for example, not to get too much of the technical weeds of it, on Ethereum, people have created a code, we'll call it a, a chunk of code that is able to preserve royalties, but it only works across the NFT exchanges that all agree that, hey, we're going to enforce this. The second you take that NFT off an exchange that enforces it and puts on one that does not, that royalty is gone. And then you compound that problem with the fact that these NFT exchanges are all kind of in a race to the bottom for like who can preserve the most payouts for the people who are flipping these things on a day-to-day -day basis because that's their core customer. So the first kind of, uh, I guess, person to fall when that happens is the original creator of that piece of content because their royalties get slashed. They bring it off, you know, the, the holders of an NFT, bring that NFT off a platform that preserves the royalty or that platform itself slashes the royalties down and tries to give as much of that kind of secondary sale money to the flippers because that's the core customer. That's a whole different version of that problem. Sure. Well, and what's, what's interesting about what you're saying too, if you think of it in terms of art, it's, it sounds like you guys are just taking what is being done in the art world, in NFT art at least, and applying the same strategy whereby the artist ideally gets paid out every time the NFT is flipped. You're just taking that same concept and applying it to a game. Exactly. Exactly. And we're trying to do it at a much, I'll call it a higher level of granularity than what currently happens as well. And just trying to preserve it over time so that we don't need to worry about things like, you know, bringing a token off of the Rensa games site and putting it on a different marketplace and reselling it there. So it, would the idea be that most people stay in the Rensa ecosystem and, and it kind of helps you, you know, become synonymous with, hey, if I have a game on Rensa, then I know that from the creative backend, my team is going to be pretty much taken care of uh, fairly. And then when that game, if it, it is ever flipped secondhand, that that team is also going to be taken care of in that scenario as well. Exactly. And I think that's where things will go, will live for, for quite some time. Uh, near term into you know kind of medium term long term if this becomes like a whole open system and everything is blockchainified then hopefully it is kind of take this and go wherever you want and still preserve that royalty to the teams the technology just isn't there yet um, to be candid in terms of you mentioned game jam what what is it how do developers get involved and it sounds pretty fascinating if I'm creating a game uh, in, in a weekend. I mean, that, that seems one, pretty implausible, but two, if it exists, then how does it work? Perhaps provide a little more detail around that. Yeah, absolutely. I always forget that uh, game jam is not a term that everyone knows. That's kind of like, you know, I've, I've at least kind of tried to explain away a lot of the blockchain stuff. Game jam is simply a hackathon for building games. And if you're not familiar with the hackathon, it's just a period of time in which a individual or a team is tasked with building a product or a code base or a game or a film, if you think about like film fests or music, if it's a jam session, uh, in a finite period of time. Uh, and in the case of game jams or hackathons, particularly around one specific prompt. So the way that 
um, these things typically work is you can go on a platform like itch.io, which is also a browser-based site that has lots of independently developed games, about 730,000 of them. If people are curious about the scope of this stuff, this is not just like a bunch of people in their basements, like, I'm going to make a game. There's millions of people doing this. Um, so in a game jam scenario, a group will come together. Someone will kind of put a prompt out there like, hey, over this long weekend, I am tasking you know, the community to build games around, you know, build the best first person shooter you can over four days. And the prize on the line is going to be a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks, or maybe it's a piece of software or like a mechanical keyboard. There could be all kinds of different prizes for this stuff. And then you have people contribute, they, they tag in, they sign their team up, um, the teams build around whatever that prompt is, they submit their content, some judges vote on which of these submissions are the best, you kind of get your rank order, and then ta-da, you have a winner at the end of that time period. Um, and it's great. It's a great way for people to kind of experiment with different types of game loops, right? I give the example of a first-person shooter that's kind of vanilla. Um, you could create, you know, all kinds of weird uh, prompts, they could be very philosophical, they could be very mechanical, okay, we'll make a game where time stops when you stop moving, right, like those kind of examples. Um, and it's very, very broad. But the issue that we've had in the past, just speaking on behalf of my team specifically, is in these scenarios like game jams, or like hackathons where you're building, you know, code instead of a game, or even a pitch competition where I'm trying to present rents of games and there's some amount of money on the line. Um, we've been, we've been screwed out of winnings a bunch of times. So, you know, our team won a $25,000 um, pitch competition back in September of 2021. Money never showed up. Um, won a $3,000 hackathon. Money never showed up. Put We actually put $1,000 in the line for a hackathon at one point, and uh, the organizers failed to pay that out for like three months. And people were coming to us like, hey, you guys are legit because we never got this money. I'm like, we said that's like a 501c3 charity, all right? Like, go talk to them. So rather than complaining about it, we decided we wanted to build a solution. Um, which again, at the end of it, we'll kind of get back into that exact same marketing flow we were talking about, just kind of cue that up. But what we've built is a platform called Showcase. And Showcase is our way of automating game jams, hackathons, pitch competitions, film fest, jam sessions, whatever. We do it on a blockchain, kind of a consistent narrative thread here, right? So the way that works is step one is money. If you're saying money's in the line, money has to be there. So the first step is a sponsor of whatever this challenge is going to be needs to fund a prize pool with Matic if it's on Polygon, ETH if it's on Ethereum, just some amount of crypto and or fiat, stable coins, whatever. That lives in a prize pool, which is technically a escrow contract on a blockchain. So no one can touch it. Everyone can see that the money is there, it's public, but no one can move it until the end of this game jam. And at that point, no one's touching it then either. What we do is we use smart contracts to send it out to the winners. So sponsor comes in, they put the money in the pot. Teams sign up and say, I want to build in this challenge. Um, so they, again, similar to the distribution we talked about before for games and assets, they will go ahead and put their public addresses for themselves and their teams and the percentage that everyone's contributing. Same kind of rails there. They'll put that all um, into their kind of registration flow. Then when their game is done, when they're movie is filmed, when the code base is created for a hackathon, they submit that through our portal. Um, it's kind of like a long form that they could do. Um, and then we end that submission period and then you're not able to submit things on chain anymore because 
smart contracts, the blockchain doesn't allow it. At that point, the judges take over. Judges, same thing, register their public address that allows them to access the content. It allows them to vote, which they just click on whichever one they like the most and say, I wanna vote for this one. Uh, and then all those votes are tabulated on chain. Again, it's public. Everyone can see who voted and who the winners are. So there's no chicanery behind the scenes. There's no like backroom deals. Like it's all extremely public. And then when the voting period ends, uh, no one can really do anything anymore. There's just one big shiny button that says end challenge. And once that button is clicked, essentially our smart contracts, very similar to the way that the games work, will distribute all the payouts immediately. So if there's one ETH on the line and first place gets 50%, second gets 30, third gets 20, that first place prize of 0.5 ETH will go to the winning team. And if that team had four people on it, all getting, you know, 25%, we'll split it up. Okay, first place gets 0.5, split by 25% to each wallet, boom, 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 boom. It's done. There's, there's no wondering about when this money's coming through, who needs to hit the buttons, what forms need to fill out. Um, we certainly handle the legalese kind of off-chain um, for, for now, but again, it's just a very simple way of proving that something is actually on the line and getting it sent out to people. Um, so to give you an example kind of quickly about the most recent one we just did, we partnered up with an organization called Game7DAO. They are a decentralized autonomous organization, hence DAO. Um, that has uh, quite a bit of budget from BitDAO and Forte, and their remit is expanding this whole Web3 gaming ecosystem. So we partnered up with them to create a series of challenges within the confines of a game jam. We had, I think, 18 teams and like 27 people across those 18 teams, like all register and submit content that was voted on by judges, and then you have your winners uh, at the end of it. So. Um, interestingly, a lot of the people who submitted content were kind of like more Web2 games, but trying to learn about Web3 through this vehicle, which I think is incredible um, because we want to get more people in this space and that's certainly a way to do it. And then long-term, we want this to be kind of like a marketing tool, right? Where companies that are working on games, whether that's bigger companies or smaller independent developers can take a couple of the assets that they've got, you know, in flight and say, okay, well, here's a character but you can download it from the rent games asset store, maybe pay us a couple bucks for it and then build with it in a game jam. We'll put a couple, you know, put some money on the line and have, uh, have that there. And then when the game jam is done, you now have completed games that can go live in the rent games marketplace and be sold again. And now you're like doubly monetizing a marketing asset. Should you want to, if you want to just do it for free, you certainly do it for free. Um, and that's just, you know, part of your marketing budget. But the, the point is we're trying to create this, this, we talked about this earlier, this kind of virtuous cycle, this closed loop where you're incentivizing people to create content that lives in a marketplace that people can buy to, you know, put a game jam on the line and build games and then you kind of keep going around the circle. And that's how you build that content base up. Right. So it's, it's also utilizing the content that's on rent games to be put into rent games to then continue to develop and iterate and, and, and have these new products with the existing products, which is, which is pretty neat. Uh, question on the game jam is the public address that's used as sort of the, the holder of the, the prize distribution. Is there a way, do you guys mention that ahead of time and say, Hey, this address is going to have this amount of money, you, you know, cause conceivably, I could just pick a random address and say, Hey, look, you know, this has this much money in it and that's, what's going to you guys and not have that be the case. 
Yeah, we um, we kind of glue it all together on our back end and present it to you, uh, the customer, as it were, on our front end. So when you go into our site, there's showcase, you can see game seven, you can click into the challenges. Um, and each individual challenge will have a link that says prize pool. And right now, if you went there for the game seven challenge, it would say zero because that money has already been distributed. Um, but if you click on it, you'll see the smart contract specifically of it that's been deployed by game mm. seven, the funding that came in from game seven. Uh, it, you can see the code of the escrow contracts. So you know that no one can touch it. Um, yeah, and it's all kind of linked and, and automatically deployed. It's actually kind of a funny story, not to get too into the the, the backgrounds of how it all came about, but um, their team, they, they were lining up their entire like engineering team to be like, how are we going to deploy this? We need to like carve out like how many hours? And I'm like, I don't think we really need to carve out that much time. And it was this mismatch of them thinking like they were gonna have to like, you know, interact with the blockchain directly and go through this like really cumbersome like effort. And like, no, 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 just, just come to the website, and hit these three buttons and like it's done. And uh, yeah, they, they got everything deployed within 30 minutes of like a two hour call that we had set up and like, oh, it's, it's already done. Like, okay, cool. Uh, that was easy. And that's the point. So, you know, we're trying to put more and more of this blockchain stuff in the background. So these tools do become more accessible. Um, we've created developer documents that kind of walkthroughs of how everyone can kind of do this stuff themselves. Obviously, we need to have a little bit of manual interaction on the front to make sure we're not dealing with, you know, criminals or you know, anyone who wants to put up whatever, like on OpenSea. So we, we try to avoid that. Um, but yeah, we do really want to make it all self-service because, and, and this is one of the, as we kind of wind down here, one of the stats I want to throw out is there are 3 billion people on this planet that consider themselves gamers. And yeah, that's everyone from your esports League of Legends players to your mom playing Candy Crush on her morning commute. Um, but there's a lot of people who are playing video games. However, there is about 500,000 to 700,000 active Ethereum wallets on a daily basis. And a lot of that is probably wash trading in these NFT markets. So it's not that many people who are spending, you know, days, you know, living on a blockchain, interacting with all the time. So we have to put more of the stuff in the background and make these tools look a lot more familiar and feel a lot more familiar to what people are used to. And that is a big part of what we are trying to do while still embracing all the new functionality and the efficiencies this technology creates. So sort of like what no code has done for the coding demographics, you guys want to do that with blockchain, but have that sort of run in the background, as you're saying, and, and technically you, you shouldn't be able to tell a difference between, to use that example, a no code curated platform versus traditional code. Absolutely. And going back to that early example of like Roblox or Web3, that's exactly how that would kind of manifest, right? You put all this stuff in the background and you don't even know it's there, but because it is there, we're able to preserve payments directly from peer to peer, uh, much more easy, efficiently, and transparently. Cool. Well, what can we expect from Rensa Games in the coming months? Good question. Uh, it's a startup. So, you know, I could, we could wind this call down and two hours from now it can look completely different, but I kid. Um, you know, we've, we've been kind of going in this direction for a while, um, just really trying to make sure that we are preserving the financial reputational recognition for creators. As we talked about, that's always been my remit in the blockchain space, even going back to when I started, which was a decentralized fan-owned science fiction franchise called Solarius. That's with the C-E-L-L. -L. You can Google that one. Um, but for now, we are focused on 
kind of our go-to-market, right? So trying to get those independent developers on board as the volume play, but we're also pursuing several enterprise clients to use our platform and Game Jam specifically as a way to revive old intellectual property that has gone touched in a while, which is very exciting. Um, I also want to see this thing out there and live going across verticals because we can support music. We do have a music player on our platform. We can use it for as a comic book reader. We have all this tech and there are some very intriguing conversations going on behind the scenes about that, uh, which I can't really share too much about, um, but stay tuned. And then what I would kind of turn everyone's eye to because it is kind of the most recent big public announcement we've had is that we have partnered with a company called Lamina One. Uh, Lamina One is a, well, there's a lot of things. First, it is a blockchain. It is a proprietary fork of the Avalanche blockchain, and it is being essentially purpose suited to create what's called the open metaverse, which is a creator focused version of a metaverse. And most importantly, not to bury the lead on this, is it's being created by Neil Stevenson, who is the author of Snow Crash, who created the term metaverse in that book about 30 years ago. And we are one of 11 early access partners that the Lamina One team has elected to work with. Um, we are quite flattered by that. Yeah, I think they recognize we've been building in this space, being creator focused for six years now. Um, and we are really looking forward to working with, with that whole community. I mean, the community there has been is incredible. It, it started out as like a couple hundred people when they announced this thing last year. I think there's like 35,000 people in their Discord right now. They had to stop letting people uh, set up nodes because there was too many people like all slamming the test net at once as they're trying to get this thing launched. So it's uh, I'm very excited about that. Everyone we've met through that program is actually incredible. Um, and we're looking forward to the more public revelations about that platform in the near future. Very cool, very cool. And and also, you know, you bring up a good point with the technology that you guys are developing, I could definitely see it being transferable to a bunch of other industries and other platforms as well. So it's it's something that, you know, it seems to it solves a problem that's bigger than just games, uh, kind of what you were alluding to with music and stuff like that. So it's it should be interesting to see how that uh, is adopted in both of those fields, but also potentially in some other ones that we haven't discussed uh, as well. Yeah, this stuff will develop over time. Someone will come up with an idea that for it that we never even thought of ourselves. And that's why it's kind of important to be building in this open space where people can see what we're doing and say, hey, can I take this part of your code and do this over here? And, and the answer is probably going to be, yeah, go for it. <laughs> let, let us know how it goes. Let us know how we can help. Cool. Well, Anthony, how can people find out more about Rent to Games? How can they find out more about you? How can they interact with you guys and uh, be become part of the community? Sure. We are certainly a bit of a, a quiet team for now because we've been fo so focused on the build, but you know, things will start getting a little louder. Um, our kind of day-to-day -day, uh, comms is in Discord, so you can find us there. Um, and then of course, just go to rented.games, check out what we've got. Um, for now, it's kind of like, you know, you'll see some like demo games we created, a couple of things we've spun up. But if you are interested in really listing any kind of digital asset on the platform, uh, just reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, it's Rensa underscore app. Um, we are happy to accommodate anybody. And we could also kind of power your platform with our tech stack. So if you are a musician, you want to host some stuff on your platform, your own website, um, and have this digital asset efficiency, but you don't want to send everybody to Rensa.games, we've got something called Powered by Rensa. You put two lines of code into your website, you're running Rensa games in an iframe on your site. It looks like yours, it feels like yours, but 
we've done all of the blockchain nitty gritty for you. So please do not hesitate to reach out. We are excited to work with creators that want to support themselves and just build together. Awesome. Anthony, really appreciate the time. Thank you for the insights and really excited to see what you and Rensa Games have coming up. Thank you, Steve. We appreciate the time. Thanks for listening to another episode of Lights, Camera, Crypto, a podcast produced by Matt Bogart and Decentral Media. Music by Brian Duncan and Kareem Imes. If you enjoyed this experience, be sure to rate and subscribe to our show and to follow at Sladen and at Decentral Media for additional content.